Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Big Tilt Week 5 DFS podcast sponsored by Player Profiler and Underdog Fantasy. Don't forget, folks, code UNDERWORLD on Underdog Fantasy for a $10 instant deposit match. I'm your host, Mike Randall. Follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. We are back to bring you all the key plays and analyze all the matchups to help you win your DFS tournaments this week. And as always, I am joined by the wizard, the genius himself, Josh Larkey. Follow him on Twitter at jlarkeytweets. We keep our role going. We're back at it again. Mr. Larkey, Dr. Larkey, Scientist Larkey, welcome back in. Thank you, Mike. I am ready for this. We have some good games to talk about on the slate. We have a few that are a little bit less interesting, but we can probably sneak a few good plays in there. There's a lot of injuries to monitor. I'm ready for this. We're recording this on Friday. Let's do it. Let's do it, and let's go in order of interest here. What we'll do, folks, a little change this week. We're going to go game by game. Josh and I will make comments on some of our favorite games, and then we'll hit each and every one of the other games at the end. Make sure you get information for games that you may have interest in that we did not touch on. And we are going to start with Cleveland at the Chargers. The Browns and the Chargers, two elite teams in the AFC, Josh. David Njoku, Justin Jackson are limited in practice. Not sure if they're going to play. Not a lot of major injuries here, except for the fact that Baker Mayfield is dealing with a partially torn labrum. couple things to outline. Chargers second fewest fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. Browns six fewest. So both teams do a good job against the wide receivers. Browns second fewest fantasy points allowed to opposing running backs. That includes only 12 receptions and 105 total receiving yards, which I think is interesting against Austin Eckler. Chargers fourth most fantasy points allowed to opposing tight ends, Austin Hooper, David Njoku, etc. And the Browns and Chargers have allowed the fifth and fourth fewest passing yards to opposing QBs. Interesting game, firepower on the offensive side of both teams, but two solid defenses. How do you see this matchup between the Browns and the Chargers? So I really like this game because we do have two very competent offenses and also none of the, the the players in this game, the quarterbacks are not going to be too heavily owned because of two good defenses. So I think that this is kind of the perfect game to target where we know that there's the potential, but because of a couple factors, it's not necessarily the most likely to shoot out, but that's okay. We don't necessarily need the absolute most likely outcome when very few people are going to be playing what I think should just be a bona fide superstar at this point in Justin Herbert. And I think an under-discussed aspect of the Chargers for DFS, something that I started to touch on a little bit in first mover that I recorded on Monday was pace of play, play calling, and how that affects us in DFS. And the Chargers, I mean, I, at this point, it's kind of gone viral, that Brandon Staley interview that he did where he talks about Loved how you it. don't... yeah. You don't actually need to be constantly running the ball to 
for play action to be effective. Just a lot of really sharp stuff that us analytics nerds have been preaching for the past couple of years and Staley gets it. And that's what I love about the Chargers. In DFS, we want these pass-heavy teams. We want the teams that play quickly. That is the Chargers. They don't have some kind of big workhorse running back. It's Eckler. He's a pass catcher. Sure, he and Roundtree will get some carries, but the idea is that we're going to be getting a lot of pass volume from a highly accurate quarterback with a super consolidated target tree where it's Keenan Allen, it's Mike Williams, it's Jared Cook, and then we have Eckler. And there's nobody else at this point. Guyton seems like his time just never came. I loved him, Josh, but he's not firing. Not firing Josh Palmer. Uh, Nope. Apparently not that all the, the summer talk about this third round rookie doesn't matter. He's not seeing the field. So we just have this hyper consolidated target tree. So I really like hitting this game, starting with the chargers end because you can pr- pretty confidently double stack Herbert and not worry too much about, Oh, is the pass volume going to be there? Will these guys get there? Yes. We, we know at this point he can have himself and two other chargers, even sometimes Austin Eckler and Herbert both getting to a point that can help you do seriously well in a tournament. So I really like the idea. You go like Herbert, Allen, Cook, Herbert, Williams, Cook, something like that. You could go Herbert, Eckler, Allen, even if if you really want to push it. And then I like the idea of bringing it back with either Hunt or OBJ. Those are my two favorites. Nick Chubb, unfortunately, the role just hasn't quite been there. He's gotten a few more touches the last couple of weeks but they've kind of come just exclusively on the ground. And we haven't really seen the potential pass game development that we thought might happen early on in the year. There were promising signs. Chubb was running more routes than he had in the past. It looks like that, that ship just never left the station and it hunt is clearly the pass catching back. He's also mixing in for a heavy amount of touches. He seems like the guy that has more upside out of the two of them. And then he's also, especially on DraftKings, significantly cheaper. Chubb, 6.7K, DraftKings, 7.5, FanDuel, 6.7, 7.5. Hunt is down at 5.8 and 7. So Hunt is about 1,000 cheaper on DraftKings, 500 cheaper on FanDuel. And his role is actually a little bit better in many ways because he's getting that pass catching. OBJ really looks like the one super legitimate receiving option. And then I think Hooper's viable. I probably wouldn't do a, a single run back with Hooper. I think he's kind of nice to sneak in with either OBJ or Hunt because Hooper's just so inexpensive on both platforms. And we always love the tight ends that are inexpensive on a good offense, especially on FanDuel. 4.9K for a high implied point total type of game is really good for a tight end like Hooper. So I think my... If I had to choose my absolute favorite way to attack this game, it'd probably be Herbert Allen Cook, just because Keenan Allen is decently cheaper than Mike Williams on both platforms, even though his target share is actually 5 or 6% higher on the season. So I like Herbert Allen Cook. We get that tight end correlation. Cook has had a very nice role the last two weeks. And then you bring it back with Odell Beckham. He would have had a monster game if... Baker Mayfield didn't overthrow him and miss him on a couple other passes. So very excited about this one. And I'm super excited to play Justin Herbert when the field's hitting him at maybe five to 6%. And I could be all the way up there potentially at 15%. Really looking forward to this one. 
You know what's interesting is in retrospect, Josh, Nick Chubb was like Frank Gore on steroids in seasonal leagues. What I mean by that is he was safe, but the upside is really limited for the value that you're drafting him at. Remember we talked last week about how you don't take Frank Gore in DFS because there's no upside there when you're looking for a cheap play. Nick Chubb's snap counts per week percentage-wise, 53-57-49-47. Kareem Hunt's snap percentage counts, 47-38-41-53. Actually higher counts than Chubb last week. For the value that people go with Chubb, I don't think you can take him. He's got to have, I feel, like three touchdowns to pay off the price, whereas Hunt is a lot cheaper, and he's even getting goal line touches. Yeah, 100%. And I actually, I I talked about this a little bit on Twitter a couple of days ago with Damian Harris, where some people were saying that Damian Harris was just an absolute must play this week. He was 5,500 on DraftKings. Did you know they're playing the Texans? You have to cram him in. And it's the idea that, well, let's think about how, how do I get completely buried by Damian Harris? He would need three touchdowns. He's not a pass catcher. And it's the same with Hunt or the same with Chubb, where how am I actually getting buried by Nick Chubb? We even saw him got get two touchdowns in week one. And you know what? If you didn't play him, nothing happened. You were totally fine. And that's one of the things that I really look for when I'm analyzing these players, looking at my upside projections. There's a world where you just do not play any cream hunt and it's going to bury you. We've seen him get 28 fantasy points already this year. If, if he has a game like that, and it's kind of a slow running back day, and you faded him when he was 5.8K, you could be in real trouble and having to make that up with kind of the nuts elsewhere. And I don't really like to do that. I like to be correlated. I'm not trying to have nine one-off plays. So I think Hunt is really the type of player that you cannot all-out fade. Whereas someone like Chubb, unless he's really getting you the three touchdowns and the 100 yards, pretty difficult to see myself like, having some type of regret for fading him. Next up, Tampa Bay and Miami. This game opened, Josh, Tampa Bay favored by seven and a half. They're now favored by 10. Over-unders dropped a little bit from 50 and a half to 48. Not a ton of injuries here. Of course, Gronk is out. He's going to be out for a while. Devontae Parker for the Dolphins. It was limited practice this week. Game time decision for him. Giovanni Bernard limited practice could be back, which could hurt Leonard Fournette that we talked about in our staff meeting. Could be a popular play. Couple things here. Tampa Bay has allowed the six most fantasy points to opposing QBs. That's very sneaky. We think about a good Tampa Bay defense, but their secondary has been decimated with injuries. Bucks have also allowed the fewest rushing yards, rushing yards to opposing running backs, but the seven most receiving yards. So you can catch it on them out of the backfield. You just can't run it. Miami has allowed the fourth most fantasy points to opposing running backs. So certainly is an opportunity here for whoever ends up being the lead back for the Bucks. Bucks also seventh most fantasy points allowed to opposing tight ends. I can't believe it. Do we trust Mike Gesicki? That is the question. Break it down for us, Josh. Buccaneers and Dolphins. So this is a really fun game. And I've been trying to decide who my absolute favorite team in DFS is. <laughs> and some of you may think, oh, you're, you're a Chargers homer. It's got to be the Chargers. Well, I think they're, they're up there. They're top five. But number one has to be the Buccaneers for a few reasons. One of them, they're incredibly pass heavy, which we've talked about already. We, we really like the teams that pass a lot. It puts more fantasy points on the table, especially on DraftKings where it's PPR. And then on the other end, 
their defense is number one against the run. It, there is no team that is scarier to opposing running backs trying to run it up the middle than the Buccaneers, which is perfect because then teams have to pass against them. More fantasy points on both ends. So you really couldn't design. I mean, if you went to the lab and we were like, we need to design the, the quintessential team for DFS on both ends, it would look like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I really like Tom Brady double stacks. He's an expensive non-mobile quarterback. If you're going to him and he's going to get there at his salary, which I think he can, and he has already multiple times this year, it's probably going to be two other Buccaneers getting there with him. And I think that those options on the table are Fournette, Evans, Godwin, Antonio Brown, and Cameron Braid. I don't think there's a bad play in there. Godwin looks like he's going to be the chalkiest on DraftKings. I don't remember what it was on FanDuel. Let me pull that up quickly. But I think at least salary-wise on FanDuel, Mike Evans just looks incredible. And I'm confirming, yes, the people do not seem to want to play Mike Evans on FanDuel either. I think that's perfect. Godwin's role has not been very good recently. Mike Evans has been getting a ton of targets. He's getting exactly the type of targets that we want. And especially on FanDuel, 7K for Evans. If you want to go super value while still playing this game on FanDuel, Brady Evans, Cameron Brait at 5K is definitely the way to start setting this up on FanDuel. On DraftKings, I really like Antonio Brown at 5.2K. They're all a lot more clustered together, those big three on FanDuel. On DraftKings, for some reason, there's this massive lag on Antonio Brown. And at the start of the week, I assumed he would be the chalkiest of the chalky receivers. Number one, I mean, 5,200 Antonio Brown. Talking about getting buried, I can I can think of dozens of ways where if you do a full fade on 5,200 Antonio Brown, and he hits you with 8-122. And next thing you know, there is no way that you're doing anything in a tournament without him. So, Brown, my favorite on DraftKings. Brait and Mike Evans, my favorites on FanDuel. I think Godwin is okay on both. He's a little chalky. His role hasn't been quite what we want. But also, this is a Tom Brady-led offense. You know that he's going to target whichever guy seems to have the best matchup at the start of the game. This could end up being a Godwin week like week one was. But yeah, I'm going Brady double stacks. And then Miami, the Devontae Parker news is really difficult. I do think he plays. However, if you so choose to avoid him, I really like Jalen Waddle and Mike Gesicki. Since Brissett has taken over, Mike Gesicki has been an absolute monster. Absolutely. I... I've been looking at his his alignment. He is not even a tight end at this point. Mike Gesicki is a straight up wide receiver. He, if if you didn't know Mike Gesicki was a tight end and you just watched a game of Dolphins football, you'd come away with it going, "Who's that huge wide receiver on Miami?" Because he's constantly out wide in the slot. Like the, the guy's never in line, crouched down, ready to take on blocks and contact and getting injured. No, no, no. Mike Gesicki is running wide receiver routes. And then with Jalen Waddle, we still haven't seen the big yards per reception game yet. We've seen the games where he gets peppered with targets. I do still think he has that massive ceiling where he takes one or two to the house with his speed, his elite agility. So my, my dream lineup is probably 
on if we're going on DraftKings, it's probably like Brady, Antonio Brown, Cameron Brate. It's surprisingly inexpensive. Then you can run it back with Waddle or Gasicki. You could even do both if you wanted. And then I even think Jacoby Brissett is viable here because they're not going to be able to run the ball. I think that makes Malcolm Brown probably a zero. Miles Gaskin, I would probably still avoid him. His role shrunk a lot last week, which, yes, it's a small sample size. He'd been the pass catching back before that. However, this is just not an offense that I'm getting all that excited about with their running backs, especially in this matchup. So I think Brissett's very viable because we know he's going to have to throw. We know the Buccaneers are very up-tempo. They're going to force Miami to pass against them. So Brissett, especially, I mean, 5.2K on DraftKings, 6.3 on FanDuel. This is a quarterback that you should put in your rotation because he doesn't even need that much to get there. He gets you 22 to 25 fantasy points. You can win the Millie Maker at his price tag. And you know exactly where the ball's going, where it's Waddle, Kasicki, Parker, if he plays, there's not much else there. So that's why I think this is a game that I just get fired up about targeting is because we know the Buccaneers are going to pass regardless of game script. And we know Miami will have to pass because if the elite running teams can't run the ball against them, like the Cowboys, who we now know are an elite running team and couldn't run against them. Well, I'm pretty damn sure Gaskin and Malcolm Brown won't be able to do that either. So really like the the pass happy nature of this one. Couple things I want to build on that you mentioned there. First off, Mike Gusecki's narcolepsy among DFS owners has got to stop. He started the season with zero fantasy points. I understand that. But people have then turned him off. In week two, 7.1 fantasy points. That was the week against Buffalo. Tua got hurt. You sort of throw it out the, the window there because they didn't get a chance to plan. But since then, 12 targets, six targets last two weeks, 10 receptions, five receptions last two weeks, and the tight end three and tight end seven performances. Next, you talked about it. Miles Gaskin should be nicknamed 32.2 feet per second squared because his snap count is dropping just like gravity. It's gone (laughs) 61%, 52%, and 23% the last three weeks. But in this game, you're right. They can't pound Malcolm Brown. That's not going to happen. And my last point that you talked about, which I loved, folks, get out of the Pavlov dog reaction Oh, Tampa Bay favored by a lot. Therefore, stay away from Tom Brady. They're going to run the ball. In Tom Brady's Tampa Bay career, there have been four games that they were favored by at least seven points. In those games, Brady has gone nuclear in each of those situations. In the four times that Tampa Bay, last year and this year, have been favored by seven or more points, Brady has delivered an average of 350 passing yards, 4.3 touchdowns, only 0.7 interceptions, and 33.3 fantasy points per game. You have to think outside the box like Josh is telling you every week. This is a sneaky game that people may assume it's a blowout and not want to take a risk. He talked about Antonio Brown, Godwin Evans. Don't be afraid to go here with this stack. That was awesome. Yeah, I'm just getting even... I was already so excited to play this game and Mike's now dropping even more stats to back everything up even further, really helping everyone understand our process, the type of stuff that we're going to be looking at when we choose the games to target. 
That was great. Next up, we're going to talk about San Francisco at Arizona. And Josh and I were talking about this game before we came on. This game opened, interestingly enough, at San Francisco minus one. It is now Arizona minus five. The over-under has risen from 46.5 to 50 total points. Really interesting matchup. Jimmy G did not practice today. It looks like he is out, which means it's going to be Trey Lance season. Chase Edmonds and George Kittle. George Kittle is now out. Chase Edmonds is questionable. That is a key one. We'll talk to Josh about James Conner, of course. Elijah Mitchell looks like he's going to play. Max Williams, hashtag late round tight end, looks like he's going to play. Not a ton of stats here. Both San Francisco and Arizona are kind of in the middle, except for two. San Francisco has allowed the seventh most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks. That Niners defense has struggled. That is pretty ominous headed to Arizona against the undefeated Cardinals. And Arizona's second fewest fantasy points to opposing tight ends. But with Kittle out, Ross Dwelly, I don't know the impact it's going to make. Break it down, Josh. San Francisco, Arizona. So I think the, the best way to target this game, earlier in the week, I was more excited about Trey Lance. I I understand that his 20 fantasy points in one half of football last week was not sustainable. Part of why he got there was Debo Samuel was 20 yards away from any defender <laughs> on a busted coverage and kind of waltzed into the end zone for a massive score, which was nearly half of Lance's fantasy points right there. But I was like, you know what? He's got three yak monsters on the field. This will be his first week of practice fully with the ones because Jimmy G wasn't practicing at all. Sorry about that. I think a car was revving just then in my parking lot. <laughs> just great things here in sunny San Diego. <laughs> Josh's girlfriend revving a car outside while he's yeah, doing I'm his Yeah, I'm sure sport. that's her. <laughs> However, I think it's... It's honestly just really unfortunate that George Kittle is willing to tough out the calf injury for Jimmy G. I don't quite know why they have this this crazy bond. Jimmy G is, as we all know, the reason that George Kittle missed so many games last year was because of his poorly thrown pass. But George Kittle has decided he is now doubtful for this game. (laughs) Doesn't really want to bail out his rookie quarterback. And it's getting me more and more nervous for Trey Lance. I will still play some Trey Lance just because this is a guy that had seven rush attempts and one half of football, has a cannon of an arm, does still have Debo and Ayuk and Kyle Shanahan. There's something going on there, and he's so inexpensive. However, I think it's all shaping up to be a good week to be a little below the field now on Lance. Kyler Murray, on the other hand, has been... Absolutely incredible all season. And he's now facing a dreadful, like you already mentioned, the 49ers, this incredible defense of the past, it's over. This is no longer, this is not a scary unit for your your quarterback. This is a great game environment for Kyler Murray to do exactly whatever he feels like. So I think basically all these receiving options are on the board because the Cardinals run a lot of plays. They're very... Very explosive offense. Chase Edmonds, a little bit of a concern. So I think if you if you want to err on the side of caution with him, you can either not play any Edmonds, or you can put a little bit of, you can put a couple James Connors in your lineup and just take the chance that if Edmonds is out, Connors' role probably grows and he's fairly inexpensive on both platforms. However, I think the the really the best way to attack this is going Murray with Hopkins. Murray with AJ Green or Murray with Kirk. These we've all we've seen the ceiling on all these guys. They're getting the snaps that we need. And this looks like the perfect Hopkins bounce back game. 
seems like he's getting healthier each week. There is not a single person uh, on this San Francisco 49ers defense that's even going to be able to remotely cover him. So I think it's shaping up for the perfect Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, set it and forget it stack, running it back with Debo or Brandon Ayuk or even Elijah Mitchell, who's now active or supposedly going to be active. And then I think another guy that's interesting is Max Williams. We're always trying to find these tight ends because it's so hard to find a tight end. I think he's viable as a second stacking option with Kyler Murray. Usually I don't like double stacking the super mobile quarterbacks. However, Murray has shown that he can have enough pass attempts to help two players aside from himself get there in DFS. So I think you can just throw Max Williams in if you want the salary relief with any of those Cardinals options. I'm excited for this one. I'm also still playing some Brandon Ayuk. He still had nearly a 70% snap share this past game. None of us really know what's going on. However, he had one of the best rookie seasons that I can remember. He was the undisputed alpha. He produced with terrible quarterback play. He graded super well in every advanced metric that we have at Player Profiler. Matt Harmon's reception perception thought he was the second coming of Jesus. We we believe in the talent of Brandon Ayuk. So once again, I would not recommend fading him. I know that he's had only one good game at this point, but it's still a really small sample. It's four games and he's coming off the hamstring injury. So already we have kind of this muddied sample. You know he's going to go nuclear at some point whenever he's fully healthy or Kyle Shanahan decides, all right, now we can draw up some more plays for him. And it could happen this week. So we'll be playing some Brandon Ayuk, especially pivoting off of Debo. Debo's now priced up for the first time. He's over 7K on both platforms. He doesn't really look like the prototypical alpha receiver. And I think there's going to be some point chasing, which is why I will be below the field on Debo. Like I said, Debo had, it was a busted coverage. Nobody was within 20 yards of him. Trey Lance underthrew him, just kind of lolly popped it there. And then Debo just took it and was off to the races. So his stat line is very much inflated from last week because of that one play. So be careful being too heavy on Debo in this game. And listen, I'm very comfortable on Debo as a cheaper play the last few weeks. He is number one in the league in receiving yards. He is number one in the league in yards after catch. He is number three in fantasy points per game. I just don't like leading with Debo. We saw the the Robert Woods week happen last night against Seattle. There's no reason why this can't be the Brandon Ayuk week. And my thoughts on Trey Lance, which I put on Twitter also, I'm fine playing Trey Lance this week. I just think we have to temper expectations. We're still dealing with a rookie quarterback whose last four games were against Nickel State and all those schools that he was playing in college. Then he only played one game. He played some preseason. He came in last week. He threw the touchdown to Debo, which was a broken coverage, and it still was short. It wasn't in stride. And he put one in very late. So if you look at his stat line, you see 41 rushing yards, two touchdowns. You go, wow. But if you watch the game, I don't know if that's going to happen in a closely contested first half against Arizona. And I'm just worried it can go south. I have no problem with Trey Lance. I get the rushing upside. I just don't know if I should be overweight on him this week. And I don't know if the expectations should be as high as they are, which Josh gives us the perfect segue into my quarterback that I felt we were too low on, who's on fire this year's NFL MVP, Sam Darnold. So let's take a look at Philadelphia, Carolina. 
The only injury I have in this game is CMC is now doubtful. He was trending towards playing, and he's not. Two teams that metrically are okay. The only outliers, Eagles, seventh most points to opposing running backs. So you're going to talk about Chuba Hubbard, maybe Royce Freeman. I'm a Royce Freeman truther, full disclosure, so I'm hoping he stays relevant. And the Panthers' defense has been tremendous. That front seven, one of the most underrated units all of us considered in the preseason, they are firing, they are dominating fourth fewest points to opposing running backs, even though Carolina's coming off Zeke Elliott going bananas here. Philadelphia's secondary coming into last week was extremely stout, and then Tyree Kill went absolutely crazy. Maybe Nick Sirianni's thought was, I'm going to limit Travis Kelsey and see if Tyreek Hill can beat me. And oh, by the way, he did. So break it down, Eagles, Panthers here, heading into the future Super Bowl MVP, Sam Darnold. So I think this is the first week that I'm I'm kind of excited to play some Sam Darnold. Yes. He's no longer chalky. I don't know what was going on there. We the chalk Sam Darnold was just tough to stomach. And then it was even tougher to stomach that he was getting multiple rushing touchdowns game after game, just making me look silly for fading him when he didn't necessarily even look that great out on the field. And then they get down in the red zone and he just runs it in. So it was it was tough to watch, but I think this is this is a good week to play some Sam Darnold. The Eagles are not particularly strong against the quarterback. Uh, spoiler alert, if you want to see what Patrick Mahomes did to them this past week, uh, I think the touchdowns had a five in that column. So <laughs> there, there's potential for Darnold here. And one thing that I like about Darnold for DFS, now that he's no longer chalky, we know that he isn't absolutely terrible in Carolina, is that this is... This is the the perfect DFS quarterback where he has a little bit of rushing ability, can get you a few points there, but this is not someone that's necessarily working through his read progressions like a champion, which means he will keep honing in on DJ Moore. And we love it. We love that super consolidated target share. DJ Moore is getting 30% plus of the Sam Darnold targets right now. We know just how talented he is, and it's amazing to see him really just taking over this wide receiver room. So I really like the the Darnold Moore skinny stacks this week. The other guy that I like on Carolina is Chuba Hubbard. He let everybody down last week. He couldn't hit 10 fantasy points, but the role was there. Maybe not quite as many targets as we'd like, but decent amount of snaps, a lot of carries. He still had a few, tar- still had two targets. So there is some type of decent role there. And it's kind of a nice bounce back for him where People don't want to play him anymore because he, he failed last week. Oh, the old in-season post-hype sleeper, Josh, of course. Yeah, so I, I think Chuba, nice play this week. And then on the Eagles side, we're, we're going to be playing quite a bit of Jalen Hurts. At this point, it looks like he's kind of matchup proof. It doesn't really matter what you throw at this guy. He's going to get you fantasy points. Maybe it comes towards the end of the game and he's just hawking and chucking in garbage time. But we don't really care. We just want the raw fantasy points at the end of the game. And Jalen Hurts has been delivering that. He's over 20 fantasy points every game this year. And that's what you love. The nice floor. And then we know he has the 30 point plus ceiling as well. So there's almost no downside to playing some Jalen Hurts. And another good development was the Devonta Smith breakout. Last week, we got it a little wrong. We both preferred Rager a little bit because... They were kind of stride for stride with targets. Their production was similar and Rager was way cheaper. Now we know, all right, the Devonta Smith breakout has happened. 
This is clearly the target that he's going to prefer. And Devonta Smith's salary is still palatable. And that's a really nice stack right there is Hertz and Smith. And it's inexpensive enough that you can throw in the, the priced up DJ Moore and still cram in a couple other studs to your lineup. The other guy I'll talk about, I don't think we need to talk about the, the running backs too much. Yes, Gainwell, it was nice. He had eight targets. However, he's getting priced up. Sanders still doesn't look very playable with his role. But the other guy is Zach Ertz. Did I ever think Zach Ertz was going to be the the DFS, the the viable in DFS, I guess? No, I didn't really think this was, I thought this was the Dallas Goddard show for the most part and that this would be the guy with that really nice upside. But Goddard's price is going up. Zach Ertz, incredibly affordable. 3.4K on DraftKings, 5.3 on FanDuel. He's been out-targeting Goddard consistently now. And I think it is just perfect that Goddard had that touchdown last week and then nearly had a second touchdown because everyone's going to say, oh, look, it's clearly the it's clearly Goddard. And I mean, that's not really true. I, I watched that game. Zach Ertz is running real routes. It's not like he's running some little five-yard routes trying to get trying to get there just on some kind of volume like he might have in the past. Zach Ertz looks good right now. And at that salary, that's a really nice pivot from Goddard. So I'm I'm very excited about this game. Darnold Hurts, both viable. I probably won't be double stacking either quarterback. I don't think I'm opposed to a, a Hurts, Devonta Smith, Ertz double stack. However, I really think this is the, the type of game where you single stack, Darnold with DJ Moore or Hertz with Devonta Smith, run it back with Chuba, run it back with Smith, depending on which quarterback you start. And then you just start throwing in some studs because you'll be able to fit in some nice guys with those salaries. Anything else to add to this game? Yeah, just enjoy it, folks. Josh talked about in his podcast earlier this week. Enjoy DJ Moore. We've waited years for this. Always the receptions, always the receiving yards. Now he's getting the touchdowns. He's got four red zone targets. He's got three total touchdowns, 22.4 fantasy points per game. That's fourth overall, and he's second in receptions. Enjoy it. I think at this point, no, nothing is stopping me from playing more. The connection is there. And if they ever stop doing the incredible run pass option, Sam Darnold at the goal line, he may get even a couple more targets there with Christian McCaffrey out. So just enjoy that thoroughly. I am with Josh and Miles Sanders. I am not giving up a Miles Sanders. I believe in him, but I'm going to be Missouri. I'm going to be the show me state. I just can't go there because they're just not committing to him as a rusher enough. Jalen Hurts is really hurting Miles Sanders. It's not Kenny Gainwell, folks. The snaps are still there. It's Jalen Hurts, I think, Josh. Yeah, I would agree with that. If you actually just look at how much Sanders is on the field, he's still out there over 60% of the snaps. He still looks like a real... 1A, if not even a straight-up workhorse running back, it's Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts running too much, not checking it down. I mean, Hurts' yards per attempt is, it's really good. It's because he's throwing the ball down the field. He's not checking it down to Sanders. Because why would you check it down to Sanders, who we know has had some drop struggles, when if you're Jalen Hurts and you can just run it eight yards for the first down, you're just going to run it eight yards for the first down. And that also... Because of those pass plays that become Jalen Hurts runs, that's why I'm not as interested in double stacking Hurts either. And why these mobile quarterbacks are just less attractive is that there's fewer pass attempts to go around. So unless you're Kyler Murray and you're pushing the pace so much and still getting 
the the heavy pass volume combined with having some elite weapons, it's just really difficult to stomach the these double stacks with Hurts unless the the second guy is someone really inexpensive like Ertz where he gets there with a touchdown. And the last game we'll do as an isolated game before we go around the league, Giants at Dallas, the old NFC East showdown. Dallas open favored by five and a half. It's now up to seven. The over under 48 and a half at open. It's now 52 and a half. A lot of these games are 50 or high 40s this week. Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, both did not practice with hamstrings. Looked like they are both out. Kenny Galladay has the groin injury, but he was a full participant on Thursday and Friday. Interesting game here. It's really a tight end bonanza. Dallas allows the third most fantasy points to opposing tight ends. Giants allow the fifth. Dallas, six most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks. Giants, 11th. What I find interesting, Josh, is people will tell you, NFL fans who maybe are not in a fantasy, boy, the Cowboys defense is really improved. Maybe it is, but they are giving up fantasy points, as you saw last week with Darnold, even though they're winning and they're playing very well. And if it wasn't for a last-second loss to Tampa Bay, they could be undefeated. So the old rivalry here, Giants-Dallas, how do you see it? So I think a, a quick point on the Dallas defense. Yes, the Dallas defense has been pretty good. They've been good in the fantasy points department too. They've had a couple nice games. However, just because a defense is good or scoring some fantasy points for you doesn't necessarily mean that offenses can't still do well against them in the fantasy points department. Excellent point. And I think that sometimes people go, oh, Dallas is a good defense. We can't play anybody against them. Just like people have talked before, like last year, they were like, oh, the Buccaneers are a good defense. Yeah. And you wanted to target them because they were just so ridiculously good against the run, just like they are this year, which means teams are passing and scoring fantasy points. So it's always something to keep in mind. Dallas has really been very friendly, in fact, to opposing quarterbacks for the fantasy production. So I think both quarterbacks are on the table here. I mean, Dak is almost always going to be a viable DFS play. And then Daniel Jones really put everyone... All, all, all the, all the, the doubters, the critics. I think they're, I think they all probably shut up after this past week when he threw up over 400 passing yards against the the Saints defense that had been a very strong unit up until that point. I really like Dak double stacks. You can go Lamb and Schultz, something like that. You could go Cooper Schultz. A little bit hesitant to go both Cooper and Lamb, though. I think you can get away with it if you want. You could also even go Dak with Zeke. And I understand that Zeke's not necessarily getting the massive target volume. However, we've seen multiple games this year where Dallas's offense is so good and so efficient and scoring so many points that both Zeke and Dak can get there. And neither's price is prohibitive to going something like Dak, Zeke, Lamb. They can still all get there. And even though you have some slight season-long negative correlation and even most of the, most games a week to week negative correlation between Zeke and Dak because we know how good this offense can be and i just don't think Zeke is being properly priced for what he can do it's still viable so that's pretty exciting that there's just so many more options with Dallas on the giants end Kenny Galladay i think he might be here it's nice we were very patient i wasn't playing much Galladay last week but it's good. He had over 100 yards. Maybe it took Shepard and Slayton both being out, but it's good to know he's arrived in some form. And the same with Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony, the highlight reel is out there at this point. He's still only 4K, so very viable. 
Evan Ingram still 3.2K on DraftKings, getting six targets the past two weeks. So with how inexpensive these Giants are. Oh, and then the other thing actually is Galladay's only 6.2K on FanDuel, which, I mean, if you think about how Galladay scores his fantasy points, deep passes, touchdowns, sounds a whole lot like FanDuel to me. So his salary is very attractive there, plus it fits his profile pretty nicely. And because of how inexpensive these Giants are, I think you're allowed to double stack Daniel Jones. Don't think I ever would have thought I'd be advocating for that, especially with how he's come on as a rusher. But he's really stepped it up as a passer. And I think you can go Galladay Ingram or Galladay Tony, or even, I mean, if you're trying to fit the the big dog, Derrick Henry, against this Jacksonville team that I think at this point he just owns them. I think him and Con part owners of the the Jaguars. Oh, and it, well, <laughs> um, I'm sure I'm sure Urban Meyer is very focused this week on stopping Derrick Henry. <laughs> yeah, that's another good point. Uh, Urban Meyer uh, doing a very good job to not let his personal life leak into <laughs> his job. Good for him canceling Monday's practice to deal with his shenanigans. So, uh, who even knows what's going on in Jacksonville? But the yeah, this looks like just ultimate smash week. We'll get to those players in a little bit. But yeah, if you're trying to fit in the big dog who's uh, 9K DraftKings, 10.4K FanDuel. If you're trying to fit him in, you could go Daniel Jones, Kadarius, Tony, Evan Ingram. Run it back with Zeke and Dallas receiver. Just run it back with Zeke. Run it back with a Dallas receiver. You can run it back with Pollard if you want. You think it's going to be a Pollard game. There's a lot of really nice options here. And I think that with Daniel Jones as well, this game's going to be pretty popular. Most people will not be double stacking him, which is crazy. I mean, he, the guy just threw for 400 yards against the Saints. So we know at this point that he can do it and that they're willing to let him air it out. John Ross even had a good game. Not really someone I'm too too interested in playing in DFS because it doesn't seem like the volume is going to be there to actually bury you in any form if you fade him. But it's just really nice to see Danny Dimes airing it out. And I think that's really the the key to this game is yes it's going to be chalky however there's probably not going to be quite as many full game onslaughts for this one so i think put in four or five players from this game in your lineup if you go with either quarterback you're going to be a little bit more different from a lot of the the novice people in the field that are like oh let me just do my token skinny stack token run back and move on you can really load up this game and still have room for someone like derrick henry to fit in there all right, let's go around the league here. A couple more games, and then we'll just go quick one-liners. Detroit at Minnesota. Dalvin Cook is going to play through the injury. I think that's no bueno for him. Swift was limited all week. Obviously, he's coming off a bad week. I think that just suppresses ownership. Josh talked about stacking with Zeke Elliott. If you're a pass-catching running back like Swift, you're basically a wide receiver, so he's viable. Hawkinson was a, did not practice on Wednesday, but he was limited the last two Days and has a chance to play per Dan Campbell. Jamal Williams limited. Looks like he's going to play. And Josh Deedy Westbrook was back at full practice. Time for a party here. Detroit, <laughs> Detroit second most fantasy points to opposing running backs. They get shredded. So if Cook can get going here at home in a game that the Vikings absolutely have to have, he could still do something. Or Madison and Lions 31st in defensive DVOA per football outsiders. So Minnesota's in a get-right game here. They should absolutely play well, and it's a game that the Vikings really need to have because they're a team that they've lost some really close games. It's been disappointing, but we have the Vikings and the Lions. Vikings open as an 8.5-point favorite. It is now up to 10. The over-under is holding steady at 49. Thoughts here, Lions-Vikings. 
So I posted about this game on Twitter early in the week as I was looking at it. And one thing that caught my eye is both of these teams top 10 in play volume on the season. You don't always see that in a game, especially a game where people aren't just racing to play guys in it. Thank you, Lions. For some reason, the Detroit Lions, they still have this stink where you just can't quite play them. Finally, this does look like the week that at least Swift is drawing some ownership. So it was nice playing him when he was never, never played, but it looks like the public is finally catching up to his upside. However, at his salary and until he is like the most chalky running back on the board when he's in the low sixes, I think he's 6,100 on DraftKings, still going to be playing some Swift. And I really, I think TJ Hawkinson is going to play. The guy's a warrior. These tight ends often pledge because it's the nature of the position. He played all of last week. He did start practicing the last two days, which is good. If he had just do not practices all three days this week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that would be more cause for concern. I think Dan Campbell's under, he's, he's slow playing a little bit. We saw it with Swift already. He just seems like the kind of guy that's going to be very conservative when he talks about these injuries to the media. So I'm not too concerned yet unless I hear new information about Hawkinson. And I really like the idea of some type of skinny correlation from this game. It's not necessarily a game where I'm in love with either quarterback this week, but I really like the idea of because we think it's going to be fairly up-tempo, you can get in Swift, Justin Jefferson, Hawkinson, Thielen. You can sneak in a couple pieces from this game. You could even sneak in something like Swift, Hawkinson, Jefferson into your lineup. And I think that's really the, the move here. I'm not opposed to playing Cousins or Goff. Goff especially is just really, really inexpensive for how much he's been throwing this year. So that's kind of nice if you're looking for for dollars per projected pass attempt. Goff is way up there in terms of the value. But overall, I really think that this is really good for Swift, Hawkinson. The Minnesota receivers are going to feast against this decimated secondary. And then... It's kind of wait and see mode with the the Vikings running backs for me. Because if Dalvin Cook is going to play, I don't think you can really play either running back confidently. We already saw last week, Dalvin Cook was supposedly fine. He ends up getting half the snaps and splitting work with Madison. And it's pretty much impossible for either guy to really get there in DFS when they're they're 50-50 on the snaps. However, if Dalvin Cook ends up being ruled out, then no matter how chalky he is, you're going to have to play some Alexander Madison. Mike and I have already been burned once by it. We will not underestimate Madison. Uh, year three, apparently, is bell cow Madison whenever Cook is out. We saw him get, uh, it was either 26 or 28 carries, and I know he had eight targets in that game that Cook was officially ruled out. So if Cook is ruled out, I'll be playing a good amount of Madison. However, if Cook is in there, I, I don't think, I know it's a juicy matchup, but I think you get some nice leverage on the field by just not playing either and expecting more of the same. If Dalvin Cook is not practicing still, but supposedly going to quote unquote play through it, and we've already seen what the play through it means. It's, it's that he's in for a series, he's out, he doesn't even look like himself, which is not good when you want those explosive runs for fantasy points. So I, I really think the way to play this game is Swift, Hawkinson, and the Minnesota receivers all look like really great options to fit into your lineups this week. Tennessee Jacksonville is our last one. AJ Brown is back. Julio Jones is not. 
Jeremy McNichols was full practice. He should be there as well. Nick Westbrook, Akeem was limited. Big dog. Any other thoughts here? So I think that in this game, I really like AJ Brown and Derrick Henry as one-off plays. They both look like they're just going to have some very nice volume. We haven't really seen AJ Brown without Julio yet this year. So I think that's kind of exciting. Still not that many people projected to play AJ Brown. I think they're just hesitant because he had the injury and he underperformed this year. You know, it's a small sample. It was only a few games. He still got the targets in a few of those games. The the Jacksonville Jaguars secondary is just terrible. They're, they're one not horrible player. Uh, Henderson, the cornerback, is now on the Panthers. So this secondary is just dreadful. And like Mike and I already mentioned, I mean, with this Urban Meyer news, do we really think the Jaguars are all that focused on defense? No so way. It's a, I think this is just a great week to cram in some big dog, to have some A.J. Brown in your lineups. One of them's probably going to go nuclear in this one. And I think the quarterback that I do want to play in this game is Trevor Lawrence. He's been having the, the, the pass volume's been there. We DJ Shark is out for the season with the, the fractured ankle. And this target distribution is incredibly tight right now on paper. And I think it's going to play out that way in the game where we have Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault, who are both great options. I would expect both to be flirting with 10 or more targets in this game. And then even James Robinson, who officially... James Robinson is this year's James Robinson. He's back. He's in that ridiculous role that we couldn't get over last year where he's never leaving the field. He's getting all the touches. That's been his role the last few weeks now, so it's really good to see. So I really like the idea of Trevor Lawrence with Jones and Chenault. You just throw him in there, run it back with A.J. Brown or Derrick Henry. And then I think that James Robinson's even viable in your DFS lineups. If you're looking for kind of a mid-tier running back, who we know is going to get heavy volume. I think he's a really good play this week where we've started to see that 25-point upside now surfacing. And you always want these running backs that can get you high 20s fantasy points and that you can just throw them in there. They don't even need to be correlated. And that you can bank on, at the very least, he's getting the usage and there's a good chance the fantasy points come with it. All right, let's go around just a couple quick hitters here. Green Bay, Cincinnati. Joe Mixon look like looks like he's out. Two teams that play slow but have a high over-under. Yeah, this one's a little bit tough for me. This is a game that I think I'm going to be fading the quarterbacks on this one and just kind of playing some of these singular pieces. It might burn me. It is a high game total. However, just with, with how slowly these two teams have been playing, it's really difficult for me to, to just see the play volume being there for this to be the the true full-blown shootout where you just had to play guys in this game. Joe Mixon being out, I think, does help the, the, the DFS interest of this game where maybe we'll finally get to see Joe Burrow playing like last year's Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor really letting him loose where, I mean, there were many games last year where Burrow's hitting 50 pass attempts and we just haven't seen anything even close to that this year. Higgins back, which is, it's good for Burrow, but I mean, if we have a low volume offense with the three viable options, nobody's gone nuclear when all three have been playing this year. Not that many games to look at. I think it's only two games with those three, but still in a super low volume pass attack with three guys commanding a pretty heavy dose of targets, it is kind of difficult to see any one of them truly getting there. I think you kind of want to just go one-off plays on this or some skinny correlation. 
where you just choose one of those three Bengals receivers if you want. And then on the Packers side, I mean, Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams are always going to be must plays in DFS. So I think you just kind of choose Jones or Adams. You choose a Bengals receiver if you want. You can play any of those five just solo in a lineup. And I think uh, from my perspective, that's probably the best way to attack this game. Mike, I know this is a game that you're more interested in than I am. So why don't you sell it to everyone why you think that this is a pretty viable game to target? Because I've already been the downer. I've talked about the pace. Let, let's hear let's hear the, the Bulls case for this one. No, I, you know what it is? The pace concerns me. It does. I grabbed the over-under at 48 right away. Now it's up to 50. My thought is without mixing there, and that second half against Jacksonville, they are going to finally unleash Burrow a little bit, and he's going to put points up. I have no trust in the Green Bay defense, Josh. That's the focus for me. Don't trust it. I think the Bengals are going to score. Well, if the Bengals are going to score, while Rodgers absolutely loves to milk that clock, they're going to get into a point where they're going to have to put some points up quickly, and I think their offense is starting to hum now on the road. I don't trust the Packers' defense. I think Rodgers will put points up, and I think their pace will be taken over by the fact that they're going to be chasing. That's really my focus. It's not going to be a game where the Packers get up early and they're going to be able to run the show. I think the Bengals will come out off a long break. They'll be ready to go. T. Higgins is back. Burrow's going to be unleashed. They're not going to ground and pound with P. Ryan, and Rodgers is going to be caught up in that pace and be forced to go a little faster. Yeah, can't argue with that. I mean, this is one I've been marinating on all week. And I mean, yeah, I, it's hard to do the the full fade for me, but I will be attacking pieces of this game. And I think that the 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 mix in injury definitely, in my mind, makes this game more viable now. So it's a little bit concerning with Mixon probably not playing because, like you said, I mean, Samaji Piran, he this is a terrible backup running back. Chris Evans, late round pick, athletic, but very unproven in college. They they really have no incentive to stick with the run game with the the two of them in some type of committee back there. Three games that really aren't piquing our interest that much. Denver, Pittsburgh, a lot of injuries there. New Orleans, Washington. You have De'Ami Brown, Cam Sims probably out. Antonio Gibson's dealing with a stress fracture. And New England, Houston. These are all sort of defensive games. Per Mike Reese today, four of the five Patriots offensive linemen were not at practice today. Isaiah Wynn, Micah Wenu with COVID, Shaq Mason with an abdomen issue, and Trent Brown right calf. So three games that that project to be sort of defensive games. Thoughts on any of them? Denver, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, New Orleans, Washington, New England, and the Texans. Every week is Najee Harris week at this point. Yep. You're probably going to want to play some Najee Harris from that game. The role is outrageous. You could also say every week's Deontay Johnson week where you want to have a little bit of Deontay Johnson. I know Claypool's healthy now. I'm not interested in Claypool or Juju. They're just not going to get the targets. They're not running the right type of routes for Big Ben and catering to just this this really sharp decline of his. So I think Deontay and Najee Harris, they're okay one-offs. And then Denver, I'm just really not interested in anyone at this point, except maybe Noah Fant. Noah Fant's been really good. He's been getting a massive target share. I thought Cortland Sutton was probably an okay one-off play until I learned that he just rolled his ankle in practice and is now questionable. Don't like hearing that. The ankle injuries are horrible for these wide receivers and that even if he plays If you think about what the wide receiver is doing out on the field, the ankles, very, it's it's very necessary. We see these high ankle sprain type things, keeping guys out weeks and weeks. Michael Thomas needed surgery for his. 
So I'm very concerned with Sutton in this one. So I think there's a there's a couple guys that are going to be seeing decent workloads. But overall, like, are you really targeting Bridgewater and Roethlisberger in this one? I'm definitely not. New Orleans, Washington. Uh, you play a little Taylor Hineke. He's he's actually been putting up a lot of fantasy points. The Saints defense had been good and then allowed a ton of fantasy points to Daniel Jones. So there is potential there for him. Not quite sure what's going on with Samuel. He Rivera made it seem like he might play, but then he hasn't practiced. That's not good. The snap share was concerningly low this past week. Terry McLaurin looks like one of those every week wide receivers where he's getting over 30% of the targets consistently with Haneke. So I think that he's viable. Gibson less interested in with the stress fracture. He has had a couple explosive plays on the season, but it kind of makes sense why they really haven't expanded his role and that if anything, it's contracted at times from last year. So this kind of helps us put the pieces together as to why Antonio Gibson and his supposedly legendary slate breaking upside just hasn't been there this year. Kamara, I think you're allowed to play him still. So I, I, I warmed up to him over the week. So I was very anti-Kamara all these weeks. And I think that, I, so I looked at my projections and he still projects really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, if a guy's going to get you 20 carries and can get you four targets at the same time, there is potential there. He's ran super, super cold with the touchdowns. He has no rushing touchdowns on the season. So I think that there is still a chance that it can happen for him. However, the concern and why I will probably continue to just be below the field on him is, I mean, Taysom Hill is just vulturing at the goal line at this point and uh, doing a pretty good job of it. I saw one of his runs from this past weekend where he's carrying multiple defenders with him into the end zone, breaking tackles. And yeah, maybe you don't want Kamara to, to take that kind of heavy pounding if you also want to still give him 20 carries a game where I actually posted on Twitter about this. Kamara in college never hit 10 carries a game in college. Wow. Kamara prior to this year never even hit 13 carries a game on average for a season. He's now averaging 19 and a half carries a game. So it's a, this very weird role. And I th- it's very concerning for me for his rest of season outlook because we know how dangerous it is when the running backs are getting these carries and just getting touches. And it's probably going to sap some explosiveness for Kamara too because he's just never played this workhorse role before. So I'll probably have a little bit of him in DFS just because, yes, if a guy gets 20 carries and four targets, it's hard to just say no. But there are just the the litany of concerns here. Taysom Hill, James Winston, the, the play calling, it's been 60-40 run to pass, which that's never good to see for DFS. So not much interest in that one. And then New England, Houston. Yeah, you said it. I mean, New England's... Offensive line is decimated with injuries. Already not the most sexy offense to play in general. The Texans aren't even really a defense to necessarily target because they can't even help you sustain a shootout. So I think the move here in this game, uh, the the Patriots defense is priced up. They're a whopping 4,900 on DraftKings, which I believe is the high, it might be the highest I've ever seen on that platform. Fortunately, they're the same price. They're 5K on FanDuel. And with how clustered those defense salaries are on FanDuel and just how you have 10,000 more salary to work with, I think that's kind of a a fun play if you want to shoot at that 20-plus point upside for a defense where you still have salary left 
to not neglect any other positions because if you're doing it on DraftKings, you just can't put together a good-looking lineup if you have 4,900 for your defense. So I think the Patriots' defense on FanDuel is really the only way that I'm really considering this game at this point. And last one, then we're done. Chicago and the Raiders. Justin Fields is out. Raiders coming off a loss. John Gruden, something just broke. He's going to be a little distracted with an old email with some potential racially insensitive comments. How do you see the Bears-Raiders here? Not super surprised about this John Gruden news. I mean, anyone that's ever spent any time listening to him or hearing the players talk about him, he does not seem like he's necessarily uh, the most respectful of people. So there it is. It's out in the open. We'll see what happens. Not quite the Urban Meyer situation by any means. but Oh, Urban's thrilled. Urban's <laughs> got to be thrilled right now. Urban's probably excited. But yeah, at least for Gruden, it's not quite the quite the doozy of Meyer yet. It could become that, so we'll, we'll wait and see. Definitely horrible, whatever, whatever he said. I mean, the, the league doesn't need this. The players never want to know that their coach may have been saying insensitive things that they could even construe as directed at them. It's all bad. If we're looking at DFS, though, uh, there's not a lot of good options in this game. <laughs> On the Bears side, I mean, Allen Robinson is getting to the point where like, you just kind of have to throw him in a couple lineups solo, and it's like, well... Once he's hit, once he's in like the 5K range, and we've seen year after year this guy produce, I'm not ready to quite give up and pull the plug. It's still only four games. There's been QB turnover going from Dalton to Fields. I'm willing to give Allen Robinson another chance, maybe even another chance next week if he doesn't produce this week. But I still think he's a he's an interesting enough one-off play. I really like Damian Williams. He's projecting to be kind of chalky, but this role could be phenomenal. David Montgomery already had a pretty good role and was often more expensive than Williams is right now, especially 5.6K on DraftKings. And the one concern with Montgomery was always, oh, but he doesn't always quite get the passing work that we want because Williams sucks some of that up. Well, good news for, well, I guess bad news for Montgomery. Good news for Williams is Montgomery's out. Damian Williams, very competent pass catcher, and he could just have this pretty outrageous role. Khalil Herbert has a, an interesting enough prospect profile. However, he was a five-year college guy. There's nothing about his profile that stands out, where at least like with Damian Williams, if you go to playerprofiler.com, you go, wow, look at that speed score. This guy's a size speed specimen. Khalil Herbert just doesn't have any of these standout traits. He's unproven. He's a late round pick from this year. It looks like Damian Williams could have 20 plus touches in this game. And whenever you get a mid fives running back, who's getting 20 plus touches with pass game involvement, you have to play him. Raiders side, Darren Waller is interesting just because we don't have Kelsey on the slate. Kittle now doubtful. So Waller's really the, the one tight end this week who we've seen get 30 plus fantasy points before. And we know that's always in his range of outcomes to get 15 targets. So you're going to, you're probably going to want to play a little bit of Waller, not as interested in anything else. Uh, I'll still be a, a Brian Edwards fanboy, but got to reduce exposure. Uh, Henry Ruggs getting priced up now. Renfro getting priced up. Jacobs just doesn't really have the role that we want. So I really think the only, uh, viable guys in this game would, for the most part, would be Damian Williams, Allen Robinson, Darren Waller. 
You can dabble with Mooney, but again, he's starting to get priced up now. And I'm still not convinced that just because he had a good week last week that he's actually the number one there. I think I think that's baloney. He had a good game. Give him a little golf clap for that. But yeah, overall, not, not a very exciting game. The game total was definitely a little higher than I expected. But yeah, I'm not, not super interested in either quarterback in this one. I really think a couple one-off plays and you move on. There you go, folks. Week five, in and out of the books. And we have a little bonus, Josh, don't we, for the fans if they hang around. Yeah, so in the outtakes, I did a... I have this little show that I do very, very sporadically called The Coffee Break, where I just take 10, 15 minutes, dive into a topic of interest to me that I don't think has been covered properly or hasn't been covered. And I have just been disappointed with how people have talked about the Cordero Patterson situation. It's kind of been on these two ends of the spectrum. One is the home league of, oh, I mean, if you can get an RB1 in trades for Cordero Patterson, you should flip him. Yeah, no shit. If someone's going to give you Zeke, sure. Take Zeke. However, that is for these really, really uh, no competitiveness home leagues. And then the other side of the spectrum is, oh, you got to sell. Did did you know he has a 30% snap share? You, you got to get rid of Cordell Patterson. You can't be stuck holding the bag on Cordell Patterson. And I did a deep dive into the numbers. You can listen to it in the outtakes. And I actually think that for these quote-unquote sharper leagues, it's not a home league. It's the league where you've been told you have to sell him. I actually think you should be the one buying him. And I lay out where I would appropriately value him, the metrics I'm looking at, what matters, and why he's kind of an intriguing buy when a lot of the industry is saying you just have to get rid of him as quickly as possible. So check that out in the outtakes. I think it's very helpful. I've been trying to acquire him in some leagues now, and I hope that you do the same. Week five. A 30-year-old former first-round draft pick is the key to fantasy success. with Cordero Patterson. I'm Josh Larkey, the director of analytics at Roto Underworld and playerprofiler.com. Let's dive right in. Cordero Patterson. Let's talk about his start to the season and then how to value him for the rest of the year in redraft. Now, at first glance, if you go to playerprofiler.com, you look at Cordero's player page, you see the big RB3 at the top. He trails only Derrick Henry and Austin Eckler for PPR fantasy points through four weeks. However, if you scroll down, you go to his game logs, a little, little worrisome because you might see that he has had between a 30 and 40% snap share in all four games this year. And he actually had his lowest snap share of the season, 30.6% in week four when he had his massive explosion and was the RB1 in fantasy. Of course, what has buoyed that uh, RB3 current uh, ranking is the touchdowns. He's had in four games, 
Cordero Patterson has had five touchdowns. He's only had 45 total touches. Put another way. In 2021, every nine touches, Cordero Patterson has scored. And that that's going to go down. It practically can't go up. He is on a, he's just on this historic pace. So of course it's surprising he's getting talked about so many touchdowns. However, I feel like most of the Twitter posts, the articles surrounding Cordero Patterson have not been helpful. I've seen the blanket advice. The blanket advice is you either, oh, he's on your waiver wire. You have to pick him up, pick him up, pick him up. Did you know he's running back eligible? He's wide receiver eligible. Pick him up. Okay. You're in a league that's a little sharper than that. You can't pick him up on waivers. And then obviously if you're in your home league and there's some idiot who sees that, that sees the raw fantasy points and goes, oh, I will trade away Zeke for Cordell Patterson. I will trade away Antonio Gibson to get Cordell Patterson. Yes, of course. You would be silly not to just flip him. However, this is for the, the quote unquote sharper leagues. He's not on waivers. And you can't just get this massive RB1 haul for him. So what do you do? How should you value him rest of season? And now, this may surprise you. But I just finished my rest of season rankings. Cordero Patterson is a low-end RB2 rest of season. I have him at RB24, right on that RB2 margin. Now, before mentioning who I have near him and the trades I'd recommend making, it bears repeating, and I will continue to pound the table for running back targets. They're about two and a half times more valuable than a running back carry in PPR leagues. Even, oh, you play half PPR? Fine. Targets for running backs are nearly two times more valuable than a carry for a running back. If you want to score fantasy points as a running back, You do it a lot, lot more efficiently when you get targeted. Those running back targets are precious gold. And while Cordero Patterson has only had seven, then seven, then seven, then six carries in each game this season, his target totals have ticked up. He started, he had two targets week one, then six, then seven, then six. Those high target totals matter. Let's discuss weighted opportunities now because weighted opportunities is a stat we have totally free on player profile. You can go check it out. Weighted opportunities basically is looking at the average fantasy points that a running back scores from a target and the average fantasy points that they're scoring from a carry. And it's just looking at the the target and carry volume that a running back has and adding it up. And Cordero Patterson's weighted opportunities translates to RB23 per game. So already, this isn't even looking at touchdowns. Just based on usage, he's already a low-end RB2. I know he's had just low touches overall, but because of how many targets he's had, we should have at least expected some type of potential fantasy relevance to begin with. And you might wonder, who's, who's right next to him in the weighted opportunities? He's just behind Kareem Hunt, Kareem Hunt, RB22, And he's just ahead of Melvin Gordon, RB24. And the reason that his weighted opportunities are so high is because he is fifth, or sorry, he is sixth in the NFL with 5.25 targets per game at the running back position. Sixth in running back targets per game. 
As I mentioned, RB23 overall usage, weighted opportunities. We look at carries and targets. He also has eight red zone touches, which that's 24th in the NFL. Again, 24th. That's a back-end RB2 number. Now, for the long-term outlook, the rest of this season, could the snap share just plateau and he's just a 30 to 40% snap share guy rest of season? Sure. Well, then he's getting you, or at least right now, he's getting you RB, back-end RB2 usage. That's the kind of guy that you can start in most leagues, especially if you're playing in a deeper league. Oh, boy. You would kill to have an RB2 at this point with all the running back injuries. And I feel like his role is pretty stable. He's been, I mean, spoiler alert, it seems like he's been playing well. I don't think I'm spoiling that for anyone. If you're having this many touchdowns and this many yards per touch, you have to be doing something right. Now, let's just say, all right, um, who else is on the depth chart, though? Like, what? There's probably some better options ahead of him. That's why his snap share is low. But remember, the starting running back in Atlanta is Mike Davis, who is probably the farthest thing from an insurmountable obstacle. Gallman saw a little bit of work in week four. I know he's getting phased in. I think Wayne Gallman's kind of good, actually. He definitely delivered production fantasy points last year when Barkley went down. However, even when Gallman started to see a little bit of work in week four, he's been acclimated after they plucked him from the Niners. Uh, Patterson's role kind of stayed the same, still in that 30 to 40% snap share range, six carries, the, the six targets, like, or seven targets, it's all looking pretty normal. And there's upside here, especially if he can stay out on the field just, just a little bit more. Maybe the team gets tired with Mike Davis and his inefficiency. I mean, Mike Davis could go down. We don't really know what's going on. But it, yes, it feels crazy to talk about a 30-year-old who is a certifiable bust in the NFL. The former first-round pick. It's crazy to talk about him. He's 30 years old as an upside play. But maybe teams just couldn't figure out how to use him. Because now he's looked pretty solid in this hybrid role Atlanta has designed for him. And... I think what's crazy is just what kind of upside Patterson might end up having. And I feel like Snapshare can be, uh, Matt and I were talking about this earlier, it can be a red herring where sometimes you see the low Snapshare and you're like, oh, I, I, oh, I, can, I, I can't play a running back in my RB2 slot with a 30 or 40% Snapshare. Well, I'm pretty sure some of you were playing Rondale Moore a couple times in the flex. His snap share was pretty low. How did you justify it? Why, why did you play Rondell Moore? Oh, that's right. He had quite a bit of touches per snap. What, what is Patterson's touches per snap? I'll tell you. About every, and I mean, this is just wild. About every two snaps, Patterson touches the ball. Unbelievable. So yes, he's got this 30 to 40% snap share, but... He is basically half their offense anytime he's on the field. So if he has a 40% snap share and half the time he's out on the field, he's touching the ball, what is that, 20% touch share in the offense? That's pretty good. And you can almost, quote-unquote, sneak in a little uh, bargain when you trade for Patterson because of that low snap share and people not realizing just how insane his usage has been. 
They are just scheming him touches. So rest of season, who do I have around him? If we're looking at my running back rest of season rankings, I've got Leonard Fournette, RB18, rest of season. We we at Player Profiler, we nailed that one. Big Lenny fans over here. RB18, rest of season, Bell Cow Lenny. RB19, we have Darrell Henderson. Kareem Hunt, RB20. Chris Carson, RB21. Josh Jacobs, RB22. Zach Moss, who is now the workhorse, Buffalo, RB23. Cordero Patterson, RB24, rest of season. Miles Sanders, RB25, rest of season. Tony Pollard, RB26. Wow. Cordero Patterson has leapfrogged Miles Sanders. And it's because Miles Sanders' role is just, it's getting less secure. He's not getting the targets. He's not necessarily even getting the carries. The ceiling is terrifyingly low each week with Sanders. And we have yet to see any real shades of upside outside of his first game of the season. Cordell Patterson, very consistent usage the last three weeks. So what do you do in a trade? Let's say that my team, say you're struggling. You're one and three, and you have someone like Josh Jacobs. I have him ranked similarly. You could just trade Josh Jacobs straight up for Cordell Patterson. But you don't even need to do that, even though I would say that's probably a fair deal. Josh Jacobs doesn't really have much upside. We know what he is. They're going to use Kenyon Drake. Uh, yeah, like what what are, you, what are you looking for with Josh Jacobs? Do you think Josh Jacobs can have some of these Cordell Patterson six, seven target games where he has 100 yards because he's catching the ball in the air in space? No, there's no way Jacobs gets there unless he's getting 20 to 25 touches in a game. So you're one in three. Shoot for upside. Trade away Jacobs. Get back Patterson. You don't even need to do that, though. You can get Patterson plus something else for Jacobs. We're looking Zach Moss. I think they're similar enough. And you could do Zach Moss for Cordero Patterson plus something else. Miles Sanders. You could, you could trade away Miles Sanders and get Cordero Patterson plus something else. And that's why I made this video is I, I have just seen so many of these like sell, sell, sell takes too many touchdowns, you too many touchdowns, sell, 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 sell. And that's, that's not helpful. What I think is helpful is that in these quote unquote sharper leagues, I think Cordell Patterson is being vastly underestimated in that it seems like whoever happened to be the, the lucky one that grabbed him off waivers, not really knowing even what they had a couple weeks ago, they just seem like they're desperate to trade him in profit. I don't really think that many people in these sharper leagues are riding him out as much so as they can't trade him away if they still have him. And you can be the one that trades for Cordero Patterson. It's a fairly robust role if he's getting RB2 usage with 30 to 40% of the snaps. Mike Davis, far from a sure thing. I'll be investing heavily in sending out those trade offers this week for Cordero Patterson. All right, let's see what the comments are in the stream. Cordero Patterson and Higby for Hawkinson and Galladay? Uh, I would take Hawkinson and Galladay. Um, what about Cordero for Pitts? Cordero is only wide receiver eligible. I have four good receivers. No, I, I would keep Pitts. Engram? 
yes, I would, I would, I would trade away Engram to to get Cordell Patterson. Someone said you're buying high, though. I don't think you're buying high. Buying high is if you're trading him, and you go, here's here's an RB one of mine that someone we all think is an RB one rest of season to get Cordell Patterson because he's a high end RB one currently. We're not buying high. The people that are selling him are not in sharp leagues. If you're selling him or trying to get rid of him, you're not saying like, oh, you got to give me Zeke. These people are just trying to, they're trying to dump him off. They don't want him. They don't want to be caught holding the bag. And I'm here to let you know that the Cordell Patterson role looks like it's here to stay for the rest of the season. And it's exciting. He's shown a decent floor per game. And we now know that the upside can be there, especially when you're getting a touch every two snaps. So you're not buying high. Buying high is RB1 prices. I'm saying that you can, in your head, value him kind of like a low-end RB2 and that your league mates most likely think he's some fringe RB3 type fake player who should never really be in a starting lineup going forward. And I think you can. I would start him. I wish I had him in a couple leagues. I'd I'd have him in the RB2 slot in a lot of my wide receiver heavy drafts. Someone said, do I sell Patterson to get Pitts in Dynasty? Yes, I, it, I don't know who's doing that, but if someone, yes, I would, I would say if you can get Kyle Pitts for Cordell Patterson, you can sell him off. But this is more a redraft video and something realistic for you to aim for when targeting Cordero Patterson. Stream out. Miles Gaskin should be nicknamed 32.2 feet per second squared.